Hey, MW, it's Melissa. And Stephanie Carcace, the founders of Millennial Women and the hosts of Millennial Women Talk. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode, the New York City Contributors Roundtable Conversation. Today's podcast was recorded at WeWork Soho in the magical city of New York. In this episode, we have an open and honest discussion with three inspiring millennial women. The founder of Hello Fears, Michelle Poehler, writer and entrepreneur of Too Damn Young and Creating Espacios, Vivian Nunez, and film director and creator of Dream Girl, Aaron Bagwell. We had the chance to talk about how to live a passion-filled life and how to turn those passions into thriving and self-fulfilling careers. Listen to some of our favorite quotes from today's episode. It's a timing thing, right? Not everything doesn't happen side by side at the same time in the same degree. Um, You have to be okay with that. I think we always, when we make bold decisions, we push people, especially the people that we love, kind of into a zone where they have to question their own lives. Nothing really great comes from choosing comfort ever. The thing that fear was a sign of danger growing up. That's how I was taught, and now I see that fear is also a, a sign of growth. And here's our full conversation with the Millennial Women Contributors of New York City. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> we are so excited to be with you in New York City, in fabulous New York City, at our roundtable contributors talk, Millennial Women Talk. Welcome. So we want you guys to introduce yourself so our listeners can hear your voice. Um, so who you are and what you do. My name is Michelle Fuller. I live here in New York City, and I lead the Hello Fears movement. So through speaking, through um, posts and social media, through merchandise, um, we're making the world a braver place. That's what we love. <laughs> hey, I'm Vivian. I'm Vivian Nunez, and I am a writer and an entrepreneur. I'm the founder of Too Damn Young, a community and a resource for teens and young adults who have lost someone they love. Um, when I'm not working on that, I am having the really distinct honor of interviewing a bunch of Latina trailblazers, which is really cool. Michelle's article actually just went up this morning for Forbes, and um, I get to host a podcast called Creating Espacios as well. Um, My name's Erin Bedwell, and I am the director of Dream Girl, which is a documentary showcasing the stories of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs, and I'm also the founder of a feminist storytelling blog called Feminist Wednesday. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to get started with like the beginning of your journeys, (laughs) of when you actually found your calling, your passion in your life. Like when, when did you know that you found your passion? Well, um, I've always been the artsy person in the school, in my family, so I knew that my passion was there, like in the art, you know, industry somehow. But growing up, I went through all these different stages of how am I going to represent my art, right? What I'm feeling inside, how am I going to put it into the world? So I started painting because I love color so much, so that's what I did throughout my childhood. But then when I was approaching college, I was like, what do I go to school for? I I don't know if I want to be a painter. Like, I don't see that as a real career, you know, how it is. And so I discovered uh, graphic design, and I was like, perfect. I can learn how to design, use all the art that I have inside of me, and then actually contribute to the world, you know, in a way that I can get paid for doing that, and that's, that's really neat. And so I started doing um, graphic design at, in college, but then my mom, one day asked me, like, what do you want to do with, with your design once you graduate? And I thought about 
about um, all the ads and I don't know I have something for advertising and, and that so my mom was like why are you not studying advertising so I went into studying advertising <laughs> switching careers from graphic design to art direction I was like wow I can now use my art put it together with concepting you know like coming up with creative ideas not only art for the sake of art or just doing science but actually having some concepting and creativity behind it and actually get to sell a product and you know engage with consumers in a different way so I did advertising and I loved the career but when I started working in advertising I was like this is not what I want to do they give you so many guidelines that you're barely creating something you know from scratch like as your own so you're just following this guidelines that brands already have established at that point I was like what do I want this is clearly not what I want I want to create the guidelines and then I realized that that's called branding so it was a whole evolution right from painting to branding so that's why I moved to New York and I enrolled in the School of Visual Arts to do a master's in branding for a whole year and I realized that is my passion but as I was doing my my program I had to do a 100-day project of her choice. And that's when I decided that I was going to face my fears, right? Instead of doing a branding-related project, like, oh, I don't know, I can brand 100 restaurants or something like that. I just want to face my fears. I want to become a braver person. That's what I want to do. So I started doing that. And what I realized is that I could brand the emotion of fear. So I was very interested in that. I was like, how can I brand this emotion? That is a very terrible one. Yeah. yeah, and people don't like to talk about their fears, but I've right. never had a problem talking about my fears because for me it was a, a very good excuse to stay away from uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's brand this emotion and, and bring my personality into it. So I started doing fear very uplifting from a positive side, very colorful like I am. <laughs> and people started to relate to it and feel identified with what I was doing so that's when this my whole career shift and I went from thinking that I wanted to be a brand strategist to actually creating a movement right that people could identify with and I could brand so I put everything that my past you know that I bring with me into what I'm doing right now I'm branding a movement and I realized that I like to speak as a way to communicate my message and that's a new passion I had no idea about so it really evolved and that's something I also learned from my master's in branding we had to present that much that I realized I presenting but now I get to present a message that I created based on my personal story and actually inspire people right so it was like a whole evolution but I'm so glad I'm here now and I get to talk about it yeah so you're a multi-passionate person yes I think many people are Mm -hmm. definitely How, how did that passion start in you Vivian I would love to hear I definitely relate to Michelle because I think that so much of the passion is like a domino effect like the more you uncover it the more you're settled in it Um, so for me I've always been a writer and so writing was something I did a lot when I was growing up and when I found it too damn young it was about three months after I'd lost my grandma and I knew that writing was going to be my best way of coping. It was also going to be the best way for me to highlight how different it was to grieve as a 10-year-old when I lost my mom versus as a 21-year-old when I lost my grandma because they're two very different experiences. At 10, I was able to grieve, and I was welcome to do that. At 21, it was an act of resistance. Um, and I didn't think it was fair for it to be an act of resistance at that point. 
it should have been something that I would have should have had more permission for. It should have been, it should have been, it should have been, but it wasn't. And so Tudanyan came from that desire to make it something that was way more acceptable. Um, and then it ultimately high level was just finding that the passion I have is more of a passion of community building. Um, with Tudanyan, I'm able to build a really cool army of grievers of teenagers and young adults who find it really empowering and share their story, even if it looks messy or if it's not, if it's more challenging to talk about. Um, and then with all the creating espacios and the Forbes article, I'm able to build a really strong community of Latina trailblazers who are doing amazing things and, and showing up. And so my passion is really anchored in the storytelling. It's the ability to tell other people's story, um, to tell my own story, and to make it something that relates back to, to them and to make them feel connected and, and makes them ultimately be, you know, Michelle has, and I have spoken before, and it's her desire to like make the conversation more vulnerable and through that more courageous is something I'm doing too, right? And it's, it's so cool to see how those things overlap in different ways and different spheres. Can I ask you a question, Vivian? Yep. Why do you think you were you were allowed to grieve when you were younger, but when you were 21, it was you were feeling resistance from? I think that there's more of a system in place when you're an adult that expects you to jump back from anything difficult mm. very quickly. Okay. As a child, all you're responsible for is like yourself, and mostly other people are responsible for you. Mm-hmm. And so this dynamic of other people just wanting you to be okay. Yeah. And and so being okay means if you need to cry, cry. If you need to do this, do this. Versus an adult, it's this expectation that you should be okay on your own and getting there should be a very quick experience. Mm-hmm. So it was like resistance from like my professors who didn't understand the notion that like I didn't lose just a grandma from the typical sense of like a family hierarchy. It was like my second mom. Right. And that dynamic wasn't one that was really understood. Yeah. Um, and it, so there was this act of resistance of like, right, but like I'm grieving and this doesn't, I don't just jump back from this. And why is it not okay that that's the experience of living? Um, you know, and there are statistics out there that say like seven out of 10 uh, teenagers, seven out of 10 Americans before the age of 21 will lose a parent or a sibling. And I didn't meet anyone until I started to interview. And at that point, I was 21 already. And I'd gone through, like, the school system where there are, like, 30 kids in a classroom, so there should have been at least two other people in the classroom Mm -hmm. who would have related back to me. Um, But that wasn't the experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ladies, I'm just happy to be here. I feel like I'm just listening and observing and... um, my story is uh, I've, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always gravitated towards video specifically at a very young age. Um, I was recording videos, you know, in my youth. And then, you know, when I was like 16, 17, I went through a depression. And um, I felt like video saved my life, like to be able to edit in my basement and to be able to control the narrative at a time where I feel like, you know, when we're young women, we start hearing all these messages about who we should be. um, And it really gave me a sense of self and security to be able to tell my own story. So I've been on my path for many years of trying to direct and and to make my own film and to produce my own content. So I'm one of those Elizabeth Gilbert calls them like jackhammer people that just knows immediately what they want to do and I've always tried to make that a part of my life you know what's what I like about everybody in this room it's like you take it you, your passion became of something personal you, you 
took it from something that you were going through and dealing with, like your depression, your fears, your grieving, and you made something out of it to not just help yourself go through it and help yourself overcome it and help other people as well. And I think that that's really brave. Um, and on a personal note for me, it's a challenge because I, I grew up almost um, always put a smile on your face and no one's supposed to know what you're going through and everything is great. Yeah. And it's like you're dying. And it's like, how do you um, sort of be able to help yourself? And I think that the best way to do that is to art, branding, right? to creating. And I think that that's really cool, which is your which is your passion. It's so inspiring. All of you, you really, really inspire. You know, what I think um, is interesting is how you make a passion a career. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we need to live and we gotta buy things, we, we need to eat and we need to put a roof over our head. And how was that journey for you guys where you were like, okay, I found my passion, but now how do I actually make money out of doing this? Make it into a career. Yeah. 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 Uh, for me, it was definitely a balancing act. I didn't jump into building Tuna and with the intention of making it something I was actually gonna pursue. Um, okay. It was, I launched it the day after I graduated from college and I said to myself, I need time just to grieve in general. So I'm gonna take the summer for myself. I'll end up writing on this and building it out and then I'll get a nine to five in September. Um, and then September came around and I didn't want a nine to five. Mm-hmm. So then it was this balance of how do I actually make a living, right? Like how do I turn this into something? Two Dynamics still has not made a dollar in terms of like any ad revenue or anything because it's really hard for me to want to put an ad next to like that personal essay on someone who lost someone to suicide or something. So I wanted to make sure that my financials were attached to this project um, and that I was making enough of a living somewhere else that it didn't put pressure on it. So for me, it was digital marketing. It was copywriting. It was ghostwriting. It was social media management. And that was it's what I went to school for. It's what I still have a passion for on a more technical base. And it was cool because it also gave me that chance to escape the heaviness and the emotional impact of like editing essays about loss and, and being deep in that um, so it gave me this little escape that was way more structured and way more analytical and way more someone else's thing right. um, and it also came the most so it was this really good counterbalance of the thing I love and then the thing that makes money um, and then ultimately that all came to be combined when I started in Forbes and when I started freelance writing and when I started um, posting the podcast and, and turning a profit on that did you ever feel like at any point that you were deviating from like your true passion? Because you know sometimes oh, you have to do things because you have to make money. You're not really that excited about. Like how did you? How did you power through that? Um, I think that's right now. I think that <laughs> it is a stages thing. You know, I think we have to be okay with it being a stages thing. I started off heavy and too damn young but I didn't make a living so then it was I couldn't dedicate as much time as I did during those three months where it was just too damn young so I needed to figure out how to get myself to a place financially where I felt really stable and consistent before I can invest more in it right and now that I'm at that place and this is like what four years later right. now that I'm at that place I'm able to really turn to him into what I want to turn it into right? and grow it where I want to grow it but it's a timing thing right not everything doesn't happen I think side by side at the same time in the same degree um, and you have to be okay with that I felt a lot of guilt about it especially like year two or three where it was like I want to be working on this but I need to be making a living and like I need to build a reputation in this space so that I can almost do this without investing as much energy as I'm investing in it now so I can turn it and invest the energy over here uh, but it is hard and it's a guilt inducing thing and to talk yourself out of the guilt is, is difficult 
but then you get to this place where you're like, okay, well, this is okay right now, so I'm going to have the time and the dedication to put into here now. Well, when I started working out in advertising, I thought that was my passion. And I was like, whoa, I'm going to get paid to do what I love. But shortly after, I realized that I didn't love that. And then I started doing um, freelance work. And I started doing branding on the side to clients. And I was enjoying that way more. But I realized that I don't like to work with clients that much. I don't like them yeah. telling me, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. this is great. So <laughs> I was like, how can I work for myself, like brand right. myself? So yeah. through doing this personal project, and that's something I would recommend anybody that's you know having this job that if you're not very happy with, start a personal project. Start something for yourself. And then if that can turn into something bigger, then you're into something. Because that's what happened to me. I did this, you know, 100 days without fear, every day facing a fear. And I was doing what I love. Not, well, not facing fears. I don't love to face a fear. I was forcing myself to face a fear every day. But the fun part for me was creating the videos. Because every day I would upload a video to YouTube. And editing videos just like you, Erin, um, is one of my passions. So every day I would edit a video for YouTube of me facing a fear. And then that, you know, is what made, that's how I was able to share my project with the world. Mm -hmm. And then the world engaged with me. And that's how I was able to one day just quit my job and actually just pursue this passion and, and do work for myself. So what I'm doing now is I'm creating content, which is one of my favorite things to do. And I get to do it for myself and I get paid for that. Now, um, the best part is being able to work with brands that they pay you for you to do content on your social media, right? So right now I partner with Life is Good and they asked me to promote positivity and optimism, two things that I'm already promoting. So I feel like I that's that's my dream job, to be able to you know create content based on the things I love and get paid to do that. that. So right now we're at a point that we're looking to do more of mm -hmm. that and I see it's possible. Mm -hmm. So that's how I was able you know, to transition from this day job to what I'm doing now. Did you ever get any backlash with maybe... Because some people still today don't see the online realm as a legitimate business model when really millennials, mostly, we really strongly believe that it is. Did you receive any backlash in the sense of, okay, that's cool, but how how can you do that long term or any questions because it's so non-traditional? Yes. And what's sad is that I've heard that from other millennials. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, it's okay if parents ask that. They don't understand. Right. <laughs> Got to them, but like other millennial, like friends that graduated with me, I heard like you know there was a baby shower. I didn't go, and my friends went, and they were like, you know, this girl from our like school that graduated with me was asking like, what does Michelle think she is like? Instead of having babies, she's just doing that. And now Adam, my husband, quit his job to support me mm -hmm. to to do this with me, not only support me but be you know right. The, the if you're paying the bills, so who cares? Yes. I'm making the money. Yeah. <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah, but I heard this comment of this girl saying, like, Adam should be working full-time. Like, he should be, um, you know, providing. And, and why is she not having kids? We're already 30. And I heard that. I'm like, that is so That's sad. a narrative she really needs to, like, think yeah. about and deal that has nothing to do with you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and what we thought about, me and my husband, is that 
they're not seeing our ability to reinvent ourselves. Right. Like, right. Yeah, that is a project. It's in the past, but we've evolved and we created Hello Fears, and now you know it keeps going. And if it, we hit a wall, then we will reinvent ourselves exactly. again, and we will keep going. Nothing will stop us. Yeah. We don't have a fallback plan. Like mm-hmm. this is our lab, and we trust in our ability to you know keep going with this movement until we decide mm-hmm. that we want to stop for any other reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy because I feel like. I grew up that way too, where, especially when I moved to LA for the first time, and I, I'd never been to college, I never stepped a toe in college, I just packed my bags, gave my high school diploma to my mom, like, here you go, this is for you, I'm going to California, and then in three years, nothing happened for me, so coming back home, I felt like, you know, like a big failure, because everybody was like, you see, I told you, or I knew this was going to happen to you, so I can relate to that, and especially now, and you know, I don't know, everybody's here 30 years of you, but, so stuff, but, you know, you get to that age and they're like, where are the kids? Mm-hmm. And if you're married, where's that? You know what I mean? And there's, it comes when it's supposed to come. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Everything has its perfect timing. And you don't have to compare yourself or be at a rush with anybody else or... Yeah, even <laughs> even my mom, she's like, and what are you going to do when, you know, there's nothing else to talk about? Like, inter- I'm like, it's fear. <laughs> and it's timeless. Like, it is. Yeah, and when I have kids, I'll have other fears that I will yeah. talk about in yeah. yeah. audience exactly. that wants to listen. So it will not end yeah. fear. Yeah. So for a creative person, and I think it's very safe to say that we're all creators here, it's, it's never ending. And this ability to continue reinventing how you said, it, it's, it's endless. But that's a talent. Because once you're a creative, that happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're a copycat. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. can be a copy. And when I, when I see people copying what I do or copying right. what other people are right. doing, at first, obviously, I feel rage. Like, oh, my God, why are they copying? They're not original. But then I feel bad for them. I'm like, you know, if they can't create something from scratch, if they can't be creative, I don't see much future for that person mm-hmm. either. So I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I think we always, when we make bold decisions, we push people, especially the people that we love, kind of into a zone where they have to question their own lives. And that's why I said that that comment has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, you know, whoever said it. Because I think sometimes when we make those big leaps and when we go outside of the norm, you know, it causes discomfort and it causes friction. And we have a quote in Dream Girl that says, you know, you should never listen to your friends and family when you start a business because you start pushing the boundaries of what people expect from you, of the amount of time that you're going to spend with them. And sometimes they get mad. You know, like when we did our Kickstarter, I worked every day for 30 days. During the summer, I did not see any of my friends. And they were like, where are you? What are you doing? Like, and you know, some of them were supportive and they got on board. And if they wanted to see me, they helped me, you know, figure out our reward system. And some people, it pushed them away. And they were like, we don't understand why you're working so hard or what you're doing or what do you try and prove? Wow. And it brings out all this stuff and you really get to see who's who's on board and in alignment and who maybe it's causing them to put, but it's all them. It has nothing to do with your choices. I think that's one of the biggest things you learn when you jump into anything. Mm-hmm. Or like anything where you're the your own boss and you're self-employed or or you're pursuing your own passion is like you really and we've talked about this before, you really figure out who's there for it and mm-hmm. who's just completely uncomfortable with the situation. And like both are fine. You know, yeah, what I mean? sure. It's both are fine, but it, but then you start kind of really harnessing a group of people around you who make more sense for the person you are now versus for the person they want you to be. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. There's a quote I love that says, uh, don't apologize for evolving past someone else's comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Who said that? I don't know. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> 
That's that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to follow your passions, but we all know it's very challenging. So how has it been emotionally, mentally on you? I mean, I will say for me, you know, Dream Girl was like this um, epic roller coaster that in the beginning, you know, checked all the boxes. And I'm writing an article for Millennial Women all about, you know, kind of the highs and lows and financial journey that I've had. Um, But we were like this unicorn, you know, we raised $100,000 in 30 days. We got the attention of Oprah. You know, I raised another $100,000 from an angel investor. Um, Clinique and Ted did a video about us. Like, I felt like we were in this glowing orb. And, you know, into my, you know, being naive, I was like, this is never going to end. Like, this is where I am now, and this is where we'll always be. And then once we premiered at the White House, I was like, again, you know, the momentum, it it keeps building. Um, But after our premiere, like, every, it was almost like feeling like you were dropped off a cliff. Like, the journey was over. Our audience was like, okay, move on to something else. And the money ran out. And then all of a sudden, I had to build this business that no longer had the sparkle to it anymore. Like, people weren't as excited or interested. And it wasn't new and fresh. Um, And so, for me, it was, like, such an uphill. I I feel like Dream Girl has been such a, a journey of highs and lows. And this, the last two years, has been figuring out, okay, like... How do I survive and thrive and treat my passion like a business? Um, Because I think in the beginning, we can get wooed into doing things for exposure and doing things for promotion. And I will tell you, I've worked with everybody. And unless they're paying bills, um, it doesn't matter what kind of promotion you're going to get. So I think you reach a point where you're like, I have to take the work I'm doing seriously. Um, And I actually wrote out my financial manifesto. Um, it's it, literally in two days, I wrote creative money, which is my ebook. And it's all of my rules about being a creative and being an artist and asking for money. Um, because I think it's so important to, to take your work to the next level and to be able to continue to do the work we love. We have to make money from it. And this um, is an ebook that you have. It is. Yeah. Awesome. And in that same sense, you know, I was just on a call with a, a TV network the other day and they were like, you know, we don't pay our documentary filmmakers. And I was like, that's great, but that's not how I work. And if you'd like to work with me, like I'm going to need X, Y, and Z. And she called me back and she said, great, here's the number. Um, So I think we owe it to ourselves to stand up for our work, to demand, you know, compensation. I think artists get taken advantage of all the time. Um, But that has been, you know, one of my biggest learnings over the last two years. But you felt you were ready at that point to, as you say, demand that. Yeah. Like, how do you know you're ready? When you're poor. (laughs) When you have no more money in your bank account. I literally, you know, and I feel like we get confused in our passion projects because, you know, Dream Girl is something that I, you know, poured my heart and soul into. I'm obsessed with all the women in the film. You know, I wrote, I directed, I edited, I, you know, I I cast it, I set her. I mean, I did everything for this film. And so when I get a call from somebody who's like, you know, I can't afford it or I want you to come speak, I'm like, you know, I'll do anything for it. Um, And I had to to make a shift when I started getting into all this debt because I was like I can either A survive and like you know be a person who's working in the city and continue to do the work that I love to do and continue to shout this message or I'm gonna have to shut it all down get a different job like wrap it up do it on the side 
Um, and I had to really dig deep and say, okay, I want to make this work financially, which means now I have to have rules. And I, I always, something I always tell myself is like the universe listens to what you're telling it. So the minute that I said, okay, I'm not working for free anymore, job opportunities started to show up and money started to show up and people, and people would test you and they'd say, we want you to come for free. This is a really great cause, blah, 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 blah. And you'd have to say, you know, that's not part of my credo. I'm, you know, raising money and um, you know, trying to survive and, you know, now I'm pregnant. So now my whole thing is like, I have to build up a maternity leave. So like, I'm not doing anything for free. Um, and people are just gonna have to deal with that, but it takes a long time. I think for you to find your, what's going to make you snap. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. But I also feel that you were as an artist, as a creator, you're at that point because Mm -hmm. I also see in the other side, Mm -hmm. sometimes some creators that are still that are beginning and they yes. just jump off the bat sure. and without get like they, they demand as you say but the experience isn't there yeah so it's a balance of as a creator gaining that experience knowing that you have to do what makes you comfortable if yeah. you start to feel like you're being taken advantage of you're not gonna have a great event you're not gonna like want to be there anyway I mean like I will do anything for high schoolers like that is the demographic that if I get a call or if I go speak at a camp like I'm always doing stuff for that community because I love them and I get something back right um but I think you have to kind of feel it out when it starts to feel like oh you're giving too much and you're taking advantage but you can always feel that you know and it's also about your impact right like I think people tend to not realize the more money you have invested in a project the more likely you are to serve more people yes you know what I mean like that fuels your ability like it'll fuel my ability to talk to more teenagers more young adults and like that is the mindset so it's not that it's just the money it is the money to pay the bills but it's also the money to fuel the passion for sure because it can't just be passion like you're saying like it, at some point there is a breaking point where it's like I can either keep on doing this for free and it just will affect like the four people that it affects now or I can do 400 if I'm getting paid for this thing or you know and it's an uncomfortable thing I think to start asking for money the first few times but it's a skill I mean it's one of those things like, the more you do it it's a muscle and add to like give it a couple months and it'll feel a lot more comfortable a lot more like second nature to do it but it is something that eventually you have to start yeah. and even as a woman right so like I am so yeah. uncomfortable I'm very awkward it's and I've got it better over time right but it was I swear it was like every time I needed to have the conversation I wanted to throw up I was like I don't want to do this yeah. like mm-hmm. it's just I don't want to ask for they're like hate me but that's also yeah. the people pleaser side of me that I yeah. can't stand and people that's all I think we are non-profit and they're like really? why are you taking money and what are you going to use it for and like they projected oh, yeah. a whole like narrative because right. we're serving women in the women's community yeah. mm-hmm. it's the same with with millennial women as yeah. well yeah mm-hmm. they thought we were a non-profit you know I think it's a matter of knowing your worth yeah also like if you know for sure your worth like you're confident right. mm-hmm. that what you do is valuable then that will help you you know ask for the things that you need I remember when I was in advertising and I wanted to ask for a raise mm-hmm. I was so nervous like I wanted to throw out yeah. <laughs> but I knew deep down I deserve this like more than anybody so I, when I convinced myself of that like and I think maybe it's because I went to therapy and that helped me too. Oh, like yeah. maybe she asked me like are you worth it like the the raise that you need I'm like 
oh yeah, like <laughs> I am. I work so hard, and the client is loving my work. Like right, right, they right. really need me in this agency. And then I offer it like with that confidence inside, so I felt better when asking for it. And now, because that's a problem with artists, like we do things out of passion. Right. Like money comes second or oh, third, yeah. or I don't even know where mm-hmm. in that yes. list. Even though we love money, but yeah, yeah, it's not there. Um, and that's why I partner with my husband because. I am the passionate one here. Like the Hello Fears mm-hmm. is my passion project, and he's the business mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad to have him. Yeah. He's the one because I would do everything for free. Like every single talking, they yep. just yeah. you know it's for millennial women. I'm, like, I'm there. Immediately, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be there. Or, or yeah. high school girls or whatever. But he's the one saying you need to eat too, right? Like we need to you know live how so, to live exactly. Yes, and that's the best part I think we were talking about before about how you end up finding. Like, a really strong circle of people who get it because even if you're not your best champion when you have a circle of friends who are all entrepreneurs or all doing their own thing or following their passion you know you may not be the person being like you should be asking for money but someone else will whether it's your partner or your best friend um and then that pushes you mm-hmm. and so you can do it too for yourself exactly. and then you pay it for you do it for someone else right yeah. well they give you that push that you need yeah you know what i mean because sometimes you're just like am i the only person who feels this way going through this yeah. you know are you all from New York here? Or well, did you all move? I'm from Venezuela originally. You moved to New York. I moved to New York four years ago. Why? Um, I've always, since I was little, I wanted to live in the city. Like, I would watch movies in Venezuela. Yeah. And people were in New York. And, like, if something bad happened and they're crying, I would be asking myself, are you crazy? You're in New York. It's not crying. <laughs> like, you're, I'm in Venezuela. You're in the best place in the world. Like, you have no right to cry. <laughs> and so I've always dreamed about just being here. And when and I'm, I've always been a very ambitious girl. And when I was in advertising, I realized that all the big agencies were here. And I was like, that's where I need to go. But I got engaged. And my husband was in Miami. And he was like, please come to Miami. And I promised that we'll try to make it to New York eventually. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not how the world works. You don't go to Miami and then to New York. Like, it's <laughs> the other way around. Right. In New York, you hate it, and then you go to yeah, Miami, yeah. you need more space, you want to raise a family. So <laughs> I went to Miami because I was, anyways, too fearful to just make that decision for myself and just go to New York by myself. So I went to Miami, we got married, and after two years of being unhappy there, I said, this is it, we have to go to New York or I'm not, you know, going to be a happy person, the happy person I I am. So I found out about the School of Visual Arts doing the Masters in Branding, it was something new. Um, It was at night, so I could work during the day and the universe listens, like you said, uh, his um, company opened an office in New York. Uh, yeah, I was like, that's, that's it. Wow. We're moving. The so, stars aligned. Wow. Yes, everything aligned at the that's perfect amazing. time. So after three years, and I got accepted into the School of Visual Arts, which they only accept about 25 people a year. Wow. Yeah, so he said, if you get in, we'll move. So I did everything in my life <laughs> to get in. And when I was waiting for, the, for them to tell me if I'm in or not, I was so, like, gone already. I was, like, oh, in my mind, I was already living in New York. So I told him, like, even if I don't get in, I'm going to New York. And I hope you come with me. (laughs) I'm going. Like, that's it. I'm not happy here. I'm, like, yearning to be there. That that was four years ago? That was in 2014. Yes, four years ago. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's awesome. story. Like it surpassed my expectations. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's why we're still here. We came actually for two years. I was going to do a master's one year, mm-hmm. and the next year enjoy New York. That never happened because after the master's, like the whole but the first year was kind of a blur anyway. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then I became a speaker, started traveling. Mm-hmm. We we barely enjoy New York, so we yeah. can't leave. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Are you from New York originally? Yeah, I am. Born and raised. Wow. Right. I didn't know that. We're in New York. Um, Washington Heights. Yes, yeah, so I'm all the way uptown. Um, I went to elementary school there. Went to high school and on the Upper East Side. Uh, but it was really cool because it was like I went to Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. So all that had its own perks and drawbacks. It was a really yeah. It was a very cool community of uh, predominantly Latino kids in the middle of the Upper East Side, which was, like, really, really amazing. Um, And then I went to college in New York as well. Are you from New York here? I was born in Alabama, um, and I'm an Army brat, so we moved around every two to three years, and my parents retired in Buffalo. Um, But I did an internship when I was in college in New York for, like, three months, and I had no money, and I ended up working, like, a free internship, and then, like, was a dog walker, and it was, like, the best summer of my life, and it was, like, when I graduated, I'm moving here, so. (laughs) And you did it how long? Um, Eight years. Eight years. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think is the biggest challenge that New York millennial women face? Well, when I moved here and I was at school, at the School of Visual Arts doing my master's, my biggest fear was the competition. Mm-hmm. I was like, there are so many talented women like me, my same age, you know, wanting the same job. So I really wanted to get a, an amazing job after my master's program. I wanted to be either at an Instagram, you know, Google, like something very big. Um, and then I was like, competition is going to be, you know, it's the worst. Like in Miami, I felt there's no not that much competition like it was easier for me to get an art director job at yeah. one of the best agencies there so it's easy but here's like you know you need to work yeah. so hard that's why when I did the 100 days without fear I was like this will be my portfolio piece so I'll put every single skill I have awesome. into this project mm-hmm. that I ended like hiring myself <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that was my fear and the two my challenge yeah I think it's kind of it's the common theme through this podcast. It's I think it's really hard to find community in New York, but it's also really easy to find community in New York once you figure out who you are more. Yeah. Um, and the more you figure out who you are, the more comfortable you are in the spaces you do take up, and the more attached you are to those people. But I think it is a really big challenge because you come into New York, and I mean, I lived in my whole life, but I think jumping into a career... I grew up in Washington Heights. It's predominantly Latino, very low, predominantly low income. So jumping from that kind of socioeconomic background to a place where I was interning at Cosmo and interning at Cementine and then running my, and then I was self-employed and in a completely different bracket financially than like the rest of my family and where I grew up, it's basically living in a different city. Like those are two different cities. And Figuring out how to navigate that space was something that took me time. And I went through friendships and I went through relationships. And 
then uh, the more I figured out who I was in the midst of that and how to bridge both of those worlds together is when those roadblocks stopped being roadblocks and started just being opportunities to figure out where I made the most sense. Yeah, I, I think the finances are, I think New York is really expensive and the rents are outrageous. And I, you know, sometimes I have to like check myself and be like, you know, can I do what I'm doing anywhere else? Because it is really, um, you know, I'm having a baby and we're putting the baby in a closet and I'm living in a one bedroom and it's, it's a struggle. It's hard. You have to really want to be here. Um, and so I think that for me is something that I'm always checking myself is like, you know, am I going out there? Am I getting the opportunities? Am I networking with people I need to? Um, because the community is incredible. And when you're right, when yeah. you tap into, you know, your people, it's like the abundance is overflowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have to make sure you're doing that or you can kind of be like, why am I here? Exactly. Yeah. I know it's funny that you said that because, it's, I mean, when I moved to LA, the only reason was because I was going to be an actor. That was it. It wasn't because, I mean, it's a beautiful city and California is beautiful, but it wasn't because I wanted to live there. Mm. Like, I feel like what's interesting about you is that you love New York. Like, you really love living here and it's more than just like a career thing and, and, and that's where it balances out for you. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, I was like imbalanced. I'm like, I really don't want to be here. I'm really here because I need to do, because I know this is the only way, well, I thought at the time, that I could make it. And in reality, my whole career uh, came to me out of Miami. I booked all my big things out of Miami. Every time I would come back after like a failure stint in LA, I would come back to Miami for like a year or two. And then all of a sudden I got this big project. And I'm like, this is, you know, like, I don't understand. But I think it goes back to like being obedient to your calling, yes. knowing who you are, knowing what you want, and not being afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, it's like what you said, if you don't really need to be here because you don't like it, right? why yeah. are you here? It's got to be more than career, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I was sure. just having yesterday the conversation with my husband about kids, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, should we have it this year or next year? And I'm like, we just moved to this tiny apartment in, in Williamsburg <laughs> that I love. I don't yeah. want to move. And he's like, you do understand we have to move. I'm like, it's a tiny baby. You can get anywhere. Like, I was just thinking, you can remove this. We can have the crib here. That's it. Like, at least for a year, we can yeah. do that. Oh, my God. So for sure, you can figure it's it out. Struggle. Yeah. yeah. But I want to be here more than anything, you know? So, I was like, it's like, because, you know, we had our family in Miami. And it's like, eventually, we'll have to go to Miami. And I'm like, if I feel like that in the future, but yeah. why not? want to make that decision right now I'm here and yeah and it feels right right it feels right I'm so happy I'm not going to give up on my happiness Mm -hmm. you know because a baby that I know he can be happy too I can teach her how to be happy (laughs) because it kills you'll be fine yeah that's so funny that's awesome right before we end it end it I want to know what is your biggest triumph what is like the biggest thing that you have accomplished that you were like I can't believe I did that uh, for me, becoming an entrepreneur, like, yeah. you yeah. never thought you would have Well, I thought I was going to achieve that long-term, mm-hmm. and I had no idea how, mm-hmm. and I, I had no idea if I was going to find what made me happy, because I, I, in my mind, the only way I could be an entrepreneur was if I opened my own branding agency. Mm-hmm. And, work, and I always wanted to work with my husband, so I told him, in the future, after working for years and years, you know, for the best places in New York, we'll open our own agency. But deep down, I knew that I, I don't like to work with clients in that way. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know if I'll be happier then, you know, doing all this job and being the boss and actually having to, you know, deal with clients. That's another thing. Not only designing and to be able to be my own boss right now, do something I love. And I working with clients in the industry of speaking is the best. They 
love that you're there and I love that they hired me. So it's, just, it's a very love-love relationship almost every single time. So And I'm working with my husband. So that to me is my biggest triumph right now. For me, my biggest triumph has to be bringing my own humanity into this space and like just being okay with being an actual person. I feel like when you get wrapped up in, in any passion project and any entrepreneur, it's this expectation that you forget you're a human being and then and then you're just living and working for the thing. Right. Um, and I think that I've over the last year really invested in in figuring out a way to just still be myself and still be a person who has like relationships and needs outside of this and then who also brings that into the conversation. Um, but that's probably one of my biggest triumphs is finding a balance that makes sense for me even if it doesn't look like it makes sense for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, something I think that I'm really proud of is, you know, I, I produced this documentary and I'm so excited that it, you know, got out into the world and that we did it. Um, finishing it was definitely, like, amazing. Um, but the conversations that I've been able to have after... Um, I call it styneming when I can go into spaces and talk about feminism and talk about issues that maybe, you know, white women don't feel comfortable getting into, or I can go to Egypt and sit in a room full of um, men who are telling me all kinds of things about what it means to be a woman. Um, I love being in spaces where I can be a bit of a catalyst to a conversation. I think that's one of the privileges of being um, a blonde white woman is that people are very accepting of having me in these spaces. And then I can kind of bring in the gauntlet of of issues and topics that I'm waiting to talk about and that we need to move forward with. So um, when I can really be in spaces where I feel like I'm making a difference um, and having those conversations, that really makes me feel like the work I'm doing is meaningful. Yes. So to end it, I would like as an ending statement for you to give advice to any millennial woman out there that um, has a passion and how to make that into a career, but most importantly, how to follow your passions. Whoever wants to give that advice. (laughs) It's a heavy one. Start where you are. I think that's like the only piece of advice I wish I would have gotten and that I give now is just start where you are because it's you can wait for the perfect moment it will never get here you can wait for like 17 different things to align in some way it just won't happen right so start wherever you are in whatever small way makes sense then and then just build on that and that's how like the thing comes to be I think um, finding your tribe is one of the most important things mm-hmm. that I tell people when they're like, I want to start something, or I want to write a book, or I want to do a business. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how your friends and family will sometimes be pushed into zones of discomfort. Um, and fi- I found for me, like finding women who were running businesses, raising millions of dollars, had, you know, huge teams really pushed me to level up my game. Um, And when you can surround yourself with people who are, you know, on your level and can give you advice, but are also, you know, 10 steps ahead in their career, I think it's really important. And I think it's, it's really imperative for you to to feel seen in your journey, because I think to your point, like we can feel so alone Mm -hmm. in anything that we're going through and there are people out there. So you need to ask for help. You need to find people, you need to cold call them. And you'd be surprised. Like I answer every email I get. Um, the women in my community are super open about talking about their experiences and people will answer you. Yeah. So you should reach out to them. Yeah. I feel that if it's something that scares you, even more you have to do it. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it now. And the way that we make decisions is we try to uh, put everything in the perspective of 
comfort and growth. Like, is staying at your job a growth decision or a comfortable decision? Right. And if it's a comfortable decision, then what's a growth, right. you know, choice that you have? And I would say that nothing really great comes from choosing comfort ever. Because we were choosing comfort our whole lives. And then when we decided to choose growth is when we started to make a real impact in the world and getting the things that we wanted. So it's all about, yeah, choose what identifying your growth path and, and pursuing that and understanding that most of the times the growth path is the scariest one. And yet that's okay. Yeah, because I used to think that fear was a um, sign of danger growing up. That's how I was taught. And now I see that fear is also uh, a sign of growth and, um, you know, passion and amazing things that are hiding behind it. You can't see them because the fear is there and because it's the unknown. But yeah, fear to me now is a sign that that's a path I need to take. That was amazing. What a powerful way to end the podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. And um, and I hope that our MWs enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. To find out more information about our New York City contributors, you can follow them at Aaron.bagwell, at Viv Nunez, and at Michelle Polder on Instagram. Let's stay connected. Follow us at We Are Millennial Women on Instagram and Facebook to follow our journey as we hear the voices of the women of our generation and uncover the challenges we face as well as how we choose to overcome them. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Always remember to keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW. Always love, Melissa and Stephanie Karkache.